American soccer fans, welcome to episode 89 of the Stars and Stripes FC podcast. Donald Wine here, manager of Stars and Stripes FC, your source for all things U.S. national teams, the players that comprise them, and everything else surrounding the game of soccer in America. We have a great interview for you today. Just a few minutes ago, I got to speak with accomplished author and film producer Gwendolyn Oxenham. Gwendolyn has been writing and producing films for a long time. Her most acclaimed effort on the film side was producing and starring in the 2010 documentary Pelada, which won several awards. Uh, she also wrote and directed the 2015 sports documentary An Equal Playing Field and was a consulting producer for the 2018 series Finding Football. On the written side, she's already written two books, Finding the Game, Three Years, 25 Countries, and The Search for Pickup Soccer, which kind of bounced off of her uh, experiences from Pelada, and also Under the Lights and in the Dark, Untold Stories of Women's Soccer. She just recently came out with a new book that's titled Pride of a Nation, a celebration of the U.S. women's national soccer team. That book chronicles the four-decade history of the U.S. women's national team. So I thought it'd be great to bring her on the show to discuss that book and some of the stories told within it. So enjoy this interview with accomplished author and film producer, Gwendolyn Oxenham. And we are here with Gwendolyn Oxenham, the co-star of the award-winning documentary Pelada and distinguished author of three books. Her most recent book, Pride of a Nation, a celebration of the U.S. women's national soccer team, just hit stores a couple of weeks ago and features essays about the four-decade history of the USWNT. Most importantly, to me at least, she is a college classmate of mine. We graduated the same year from Duke University, where she was one of the key contributors to the women's soccer team for four seasons. Gwendolyn. Great to Thank see you again you. and great to talk to you again. It's great seeing you. It's great talking with you. Yeah, I, I think we last saw each other back in France during the 2019 World Cup. I think we got to play some soccer as we normally do. How talk, I mean, catch up. How have things been since then for you? Oh, man. Um, well, I did have two little humans at that point uh, who were playing in those games. Uh, mm -hmm. It's just been nonstop soccer since then. Uh, you know, now there used to be two soccer obsessed people in the family and now there are four and it's, it's hard to keep up with them. Uh, I, I can't, I never knew I would be exhausted from mom. Will you play soccer with me? Um, and I <laughs> made this rule that I would never say no, but I think I'm gonna have to amend the rule because it's just so much soccer, but, um, lot, and, and lots of, lots of great stories about soccer since then. And, uh, it's been fun just chasing whatever story, um strikes me yeah and and as as we mentioned you just released your latest book pride of a nation and in it it, it features a, a series of essays that you wrote cr that chronicle the history of the u.s women's national team program from i mean from the very beginning to today and you have julie foudy who contributed uh an intro to it just an impressively detailed account so my question my first question is how did you come up with this project and what intrigued you about doing kind of a combined photo essay history of this program? Um, well, David Hershey and Roger reached out about uh, writing the essays and they're uh, just passionate, passionate women's national team fans. And uh, they, um, as soon as they told me about the project I was in, um, I, you know, I was a 12 year old, uh, 
who remember sitting at the edge of my coffee table watching the women's national team. And I didn't know there was a women's national team. And, and I just remember drinking them in thinking this, this is what I want for my life. I want to be them. And so having the chance to sort of revisit those moments and then find new moments that I had never heard of, um, like the 1980s women. I loved writing about them and hearing what it was like how they found the game and their crazy stories and and putting it all in conversation with each other um, was really powerful to me to see how one generation bleeds into the next and how they all shape each other and have created this beautiful force that they are. Uh, so I, I want to put a pin in the 1980s uh, team for a second, because I think that's fascinating how you, again, were able to get back to the beginnings of the program and find out so much history that a lot of people, myself included, didn't know. But you also include pictures in this. And I think the pictures, you know, sometimes pictures tell the story by itself, but you also couple it with the essays, which is something that you don't really see. So my question is, what came first in the research? Was it, did the pictures help you tell the story or did you want them to complement the essays from the research you were gathering? Uh, you know, they kind of were happening side by side. We had an incredible photo editor who, um, you know, they, they were hunting down the photos and some of them are iconic photos that you know um but I was really wowed by how many photos they found that I hadn't ever seen that um there's one of Alex Morgan deep inside her locker um just you can see her just climbing inside whatever space she needed to climb in in order to play the way she does and um so many photos uh, you know <laughs> photos capture a thousand words is the, the mm -hmm. expression and um i think you're right that having both the stories behind the photos and the photos together is part of what's what's awesome about about the book um and i i i know that i wrote the essays and then they would made sure that the photos were in conversation and if i if i described a moment um that you know there's a photo there to uh, to take you deeper inside that moment. Yeah. And you could, I mean, literally spend hours looking at some of these photos. Cause again, like you said, some are iconic moments and it brings you back, but also some, uh, that we didn't hear about again, let's go back to the start of the program. It's been for me, I I've done stories on Kim Crabb and Sandy Gordon in the past. Oh, it's cool. been very difficult to find information about the early days of both the men's national team and the women's national team. So, how like how did you go about gathering some of this history that so many people before now probably didn't know? Um, there was a lot of reaching out to the players, and then the 1980s players um, are very passionate about their story, and um, they were more than happy uh, to talk talk with me and share their stories. Um, and I was super grateful to them. So there uh, there were three or four players that I um, you know just. Had, had long combos with um, hunting for the color and the details that I had never heard before. Um, also, Stacey Enos um, is a friend who uh, was on the original very first national team. And so she kind of was able to start me on my scavenger hunt where um, she told me, 
the first crazy story I had never heard of, of how the USA, USA, USA chant um, began and hearing it from her perspective and just, um, I won't give away the, the story, but, uh, she, you know, she, she told me stories and then gave me names of other people to, to go hunt down. And that's my favorite part about being a writer is, you know, can I get, can I find their phone number? Can I talk with them? Can they share their stories? And then figuring out how it all fits together. I was going to ask you about the Usa 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 La chant because it's obviously something that fans of the game, you could put that on the shirt and fans of the team will know exactly what you're talking about, but they may not know the backstory about it. I was going to ask you about it, but you said, let's save it for the books. So we're going to. Oh, no, we can so, talk about it. Because I, I, I think it's a fascinating story and just how how a simple thing can become a rallying cry. So if you if you want to tell that story. Sure, please. sure. You know, I've heard Heather O'Reilly talk about um, doing Usa, 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 and everyone understood that it was sort of an homage to the pioneers, but I don't think people, even players themselves, knew exactly when that moment started. Julie Foudy talked about how she hadn't realized how far back it goes, um, but it was you know, that very first tournament in Italy um, where Stacy remembers walking through the tunnel uh, and hearing USA, 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 which is not, she didn't know what that meant. And, you know, and there's stuff raining down upon them. And she's like, oh my gosh, are we being booed? Are the Italians <laughs> booing us right now? Can this actually be happening? Uh, and then um, she saw her eyes sort of lit upon her friend that uh, this, this teenager who made her a barista, uh, who made her a cappuccino every morning. Uh, and she um, kind of could hear his one singular voice. And she realized that USA was the letters USA being turned into one chantable word. Uh, and, and then when she went into the tunnel, um, instead of chanting US, not sorry, sorry, when they went into the huddle, instead of chanting USA, they um, said, let's say USA. And then from there on out, that was always the huddle rallying cry um and that which has kept going which they still to do today which is really awesome to me yeah it, again a fascinating story about you know it's funny people talk about the usa chant and how you know kind of generic it is but it spawned a whole revolution of, of a rallying cry for an entire program which i think is uh quite amazing that's sure. one of se several stories that are in here one i thought was funny was uh about heather o'reilly being pranked for missing a team breakfast um, and it, them, them pretending to run full length sprints to kind of say like, Hey, you know, you missed breakfast is cool, but we're not going to do that again. We'll move forward. But obviously there's a ton of stories like that. Is there a couple out there that stood out to you as some of your favorites to tell? Yeah. Um, I mean, the USA chant, the Heather O'Reilly chant, but I mean, the Heather O'Reilly story is great. And those are kind of, I mean, having played myself, like those are always the stories that I'm hunting for. Um, cause it's usually kind of the, the adjacent to the field stories that really kind of give the texture. Um, I love the story of, um, Carla Overbeck and that whole crew being in China and seeing the hog hogsheads at uh, the market and taking one and stuffing it in Anson Dorrance's toilet, um, I think really <laughs> shows just the prankster nature and of, of keeping it fun. I mean, the game is supposed to be fun. And I think that vibe of really liking each other and just um, 
ha- having fun really shows a lot um, of, of the culture of the team. Um, I also love all of the stories of riding on cold trains and um, playing on gravel fields. And, um, you know, when the power was out in Haiti, how they would, um, you know, do their homework by candlelight and get wax drippings on their textbooks. Um, just it's so romantic, uh, you know, and this is back in the the era where you still spun a globe to see what country you went to. Um, and, and then watching how it changes um, through the generations up till today and um, how even though it's a completely different landscape with so much more opportunity, there's still that fierceness and that um, that grit of of fighting your way through the thicket of talent and um, keep keeping those same qualities that made us great. Yeah. And when you talk about some of those stories and the one about Haiti, where again, you have a bunch of college kids on a team, essentially some of the, you know, one of the greatest teams in the world at the time, half of them are in college and trying to read in by candlelight so that they can do studies at the same time. So you have those success of the program. It's also coupled with some of those struggles. And you talk a little bit about the maintaining of a domestic league for women, the, the struggles with the WSA and then the WPS. And now with the, you know, compared to those two leagues, the success that is the NWSL, you had players with day jobs. Like how, how did they maintain their professionalism and also just the success that they did while having to deal with so much on the outside? It, it, I mean, as a guy that just doesn't strike me, it just doesn't, it just not feel fanable that they could still have be the best in the world while also having to deal with so much on the outside. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, that, I think that's why I gravitate towards women's soccer so, so much is because that's the story of it's finding a way to play no matter what. Um, So it really shows that pure love for the game. I mean, this is uh, one story in the book, um, Karen Jennings, you know, she wins the golden ball award for best player at the first women's world cup. And, uh, her her job her boss wouldn't give her time off so she she had to uh quit her day job and this the teammates been oh Karen time to quit another job you know it was always mm-hmm. clear what the focus was and then there was always the side hustle of, of finding a way and um you know that that sounds we're not that far away today there are still many players in the NWSL who have side hustles um who um, are working at Starbucks or doing something else in order to keep playing um simply because they they love to play um but it, it is a it's a battle um for sure and again one of the you also have some stats in here that are mind blowing some that again people may know but others that people may not the one stat that i think stands out is that the women's national team has never been lower than number 2 in the world rankings ever um and that was in march 2017 they currently hold on to the number 1 spot by 5 points but it was that something that players keep in the back of their mind is that something where they're they they're kind of looking at the poll saying like Hey, everyone's saying that these teams are catching up. Let's lock in. Let's focus. Because obviously, as the rest of the world gets a little bit better, that comparison starts to happen more and more. Um, I I think that 
I remember the players just talking about how you're always only focused at, on the moment in this current tournament. Um, but you, that legacy you inherit, um, you know, it informs everything. So uh, I, I mean, I do think though, I know as a, I played at Duke and whenever we played UNC, who had won who had won an ungodly number of national championships and who never lost. I mean, I brought it in a way I didn't bring it to the other, other game. I mean, it was just mm-hmm. the moment I looked forward to most. Uh, I couldn't wait to play and I played the best soccer I ever played against them. Um, and I think that's how it's got to be when any team plays the U S national team, you are playing the very, very best, most, the, the, every player is playing their heart out and, um, and that, that's dangerous. Um, especially with, as the other countries just pour support and money and, um, interest into the women's game, these, these teams, um, that come from countries with maybe better football cultures than, than ours. Um, it's going to be really interesting, um, to see these next world cups and just how competitive so many countries are beyond just the typical three or four who, who, who dominate. We'll pause here quickly coming up more of the interview with Gwendolyn Oxenham. Stay tuned. We're back here on the Stars and Stripes SC podcast, and we resume our interview with Gwendolyn Oxenham as we discuss her new book, Pride of a Nation. Yeah, absolutely. And and as we look towards, you know, we obviously have a World Cup next year. Uh, you know, they've had so much success over the last decade. You know, one gold medal, two World Cups. How I, I feel like the the way that they're able to sustain that level of success is a product of what you kind of chronicled the fact that you have players that were able to pass down their knowledge to the next generation to kind of say, this is how it's done. Heather O'Reilly and Heather O'Reilly 10 years later being Megan, this is how it's done. And mm-hmm. Megan's now telling Sophia Smith and, and these younger players, this is how it's done. That continuity. How does that affect the success of this particular program? But really in general, how have they used, how do they use that? for success in general, because I feel like that carries throughout the NWSL. It carries throughout their clubs. That mentality uh, has been constant. It's been huge. I mean, there's a picture of um, uh, Sophia Smith with Abby Wambach when Sophia Smith is like eight years old and that Mm -hmm. uh, the hero worship we had for the originals. um, And then when you get to play with them and that the respect of I want to to honor them by by showing them I have learned the lessons they have taught us. Um, so there's just this he- great tradition of um, you not only work your ass off, but you love working your ass off. There's the fun of com- competing. I mean, it's um, you know I I think of the the cauldron in in practice where every single. Um, interaction, every practice you were fighting to win. Um, but it's not, and, and that can be sort of a tense setting. Um, but in the U S women's national team program in history, 
it's it's keeping the fun uh, in, in that um it, it's it's the passion for competing um and being able to uh, be friends right after you walk off the field. Um, it's that paying each other that respect of always going hard at each other. Um, and I think this this new young generation um, are absolutely as goal hungry and competitive um, as those pioneers. Yeah. And again, as we look forward to next summer, the the team is kind of in a state where you have your core players that are still there, but you also have some core players that have been sidelined for a while due to injury. Some right. have, some have had uh, been on maternity leave. But what do you think? There's steps of return from these lengthy absences. What do you think is the most important thing that needs to happen for this team to make it a three-peat next year? Um, I, melding them um, and having that same um, sort of affection for one another that has always defined our team um, of being friends and and having fun um and I, I i think we're we're there um but it it's just it is just it's like it trying to make that that roster whether it's 23 or 26 spots um it's it is as the the people who have been out with with injuries with pregnancies um as they come back and the youngins rise up it it'll be it'll be an inter- interesting um I mean, I think it'll be a beautiful mix of veterans and rookies. And to me, that that's always magical when you have, um, I mean, if you think of, gosh, I want to say it was the 96 Olympics, although when numbers aren't directly in front of me, I sometimes mess, mess that up. But mm-hmm. you, you look at um, Tarpley and Heather O'Reilly wanting so badly to win um, in Olympics for the old generation. Um, so, um, as Mia, uh, um, and get, got older and as they're on their way out, it was, um, the, the young players who found a way to, to win it for the veterans. And I think it could be sort of a, a similar thing that, that happens going, going forward. One last thing that you, you kind of cover in the book, but is also kind of an overarching theme of, of this program is their dedication to progress, right? Like this year we celebrated 50 years of Title IX. We also saw pay equality achieved between the men's and women's national teams. And that's progress that we've seen over the years. And I know the team has been outspoken throughout the years and and really going to bat and putting, you know, kind of their livelihoods on the line for the progress for others. What is that kind of progress mean to the team and more personally what does it mean to you that they have been at the forefront of this I mean it it's it's I've always been in awe of the women's national team from when I was the 12 year old on the coffee table but seeing how much social change they have affected across so many different um arenas, whether that's um, LGBTQT plus rights, whether that's um, racial equality, whether it's fighting for equal pay. I mean, it's they have used sports uh, to make the world better. And that's um, that's really something that there's been a passing of the baton um, where each generation has fought for more. Um, and and the early generation taught this new generation how to fight for um, for more rights and and just more equality for everyone across everything. And 
that, that is awesome. And, um, you know, they're not women who will be told just play your sport, just stick to what, you know, and kicking the ball. Um, you know, they, they scoff at that. They're game changers way beyond the field. And, um, I think that that's the most important legacy this team leaves. Absolutely. And a couple of more questions before we get out, mainly focused on, on you, you've been involved in a few film projects, most notably Plata, which, you know, I found to be incredible. I think that's where we first reconnected out of, you know, out of college. Um, you've also done a few books. Which do you find more fun, the film side or the book side? I like I like the the mix of everything. Um, so right before this book, my my book Under the Lights and in the Dark um, was turned into an audio docu series um, called Hustle Rule, uh, which I'm really proud of. Um, are you a Ted Lasso watcher? Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. So Hannah Waddingham, the the blonde badass uh, boss lady, um, is the narrator. Um, is kind of my co-host with me, and uh, hearing, you know, you can write these stories in words all day long, um, but getting to hear the actual players themselves kind of tell their stories uh, was really powerful to me, um, and so I'm I'm really grateful to have had the chance um, to turn words on a page into this larger um, thing where you can hear so many different voices across so many different countries, whether I'm talking to an, um, a Nigerian and mother in Lagos, where I'm he- him hearing the mother laugh as she um, as I, I asked her when, you know, when, when Josephine told you she was going to be a famous soccer player and was going to build you a house one day, like, what was your reaction? And just hearing her laugh, just her deep belly laugh, um, because she thought it was, you know, ridiculous. Just, you know, I, I I think there are moments when writing wins and there's moments when film or audio win, um, you know, playing with 80 year old men in Brazil who beat the hell out of each other. Uh, it's hard to do that justice in words. Like you got to see it. You've got to see mm-hmm. these old guys. Um, but then there's other moments where the camera's off or where the camera kind of ruins the authenticity um, and just, you know, being able to write in my head and participate. Um, there are moments that medium is better. So um, I really like uh getting to go between, uh, I'm certainly more comfortable. Um, I I'm more at ease writing than, than when I have to be on camera or using my voice to, to be narrator. That's, um, that I've had to learn, uh, how to do, do that. I'm, I'm more of an introvert. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess the last question is what's next for you. I know this project just came out. Is there anything on the horizon that you're looking forward to? Are you, I know the world cup's coming up next summer. Are you planning to to head down to New Zealand to support the team? I am. Yes. Just, just uh, booked tickets for the whole fam. Uh, we're going to catch the first two group games um, in New Zealand. And then um, hopefully if the U S wins, we'll see, uh, see them um, or whoever does win uh, in the first knockout stage um, in Australia. Um, and I've been, I've been freelancing for both sports illustrated and ESPN. Um, and uh, we'll, well, in the lead up to the World Cup, we'll probably continue to do that. Um, and then I, I also teach and I'm uh, writing um, a book that doesn't have the word soccer in it. Um, so we'll see if I ever finish that. Well, I look forward to seeing you in New Zealand. Obviously, that'll be a lot of fun. And in so Australia, fun, definitely. I'm hoping, gotta, to, hoping, to, 
hoping to make that happen. Uh, at least the the whole whole thing, like I did last time. But oh, you got to do we'll, it, and we we'll got to find we'll some street games again. I want to. I want to. Pl- I, I love playing, and I love it. The fan games right outside the stadium are so fun. Yeah. Uh, for for everyone's context out there, last time in in France we had some fan friendlies, and I believe uh, Glendon, you helped us uh, defeat Australia um, in <laughs> in a match. Um, they they did not see that we had a couple of ringers on the team. Um, <laughs> I think I think one of your kids subbed me off, uh, which was great because I needed the rest. But uh, no, we'll we'll try to get some games going on. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Gwendolyn Oxenham. The book is called Pride of a Nation: A Celebration of the U.S. Women's National Team. Available in stores now. Definitely recommend it for the read, for the stories, for the pictures, for everything about it. Um, so, Gwendolyn, thank you so much for joining me. Great to see and talk to you again. Congrats on all the success. You're making our class very, very proud. So hope to see you next summer. Thank you, Donald. It's always a pleasure um, getting to chat and hang out with you. So um, I hope to see you soon in in New Zealand. Absolutely. If not before, we'll see see you down under. Okay, sounds great. Bye, Donald. That was a fantastic talk with my friend and fellow classmate, Gwendolyn Oxenham. I thank her so much for coming on the Stars and Stripes FC podcast to talk about her new book. Again, it's called Pride of a Nation, a celebration of the U.S. women's national soccer team and is in stores right now. Definitely should check it out. If you're a fan of the team, you absolutely will enjoy it. That will do it for episode 89 of the Stars and Stripes FC podcast. Thank you so much for listening. As always, if you like everything that you're hearing, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. We will be eternally grateful. Five-star ratings and reviews are especially appreciated. If you have some questions about the World Cup, topic suggestions, send them to sssfcpodcast at gmail.com. That will do it for now. So then until next time, take care.